0: America. If you're looking for a roadmap to financial health and smart investing, remember money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. After your family and your health, your money, your investments should be number three on your life top 10 list. I am Mark Cooperstock and along with my partner, Stephen Mulholland, a CFA charter holder and CFP are the principals of Mulholland and Cooperstock Asset Management. Our firm is a registered investment advisor based in Los Angeles, with only one goal in mind, to provide meaningful, thoughtful and tax efficient advice. We provide investment and generational wealth management guidance while keeping a sharp eye on the economy and the markets. So come along, join us on this journey as we look to help you navigate the superhighway of financial news and global markets amidst the daily traffic of forecasts, speculators, and prognostications. You have arrived. Remember, money meets at the intersection of Mulholland and Cooperstock. Along with engineer Griffin the Booth, let's welcome my partner, Stephen Mulholland. Stephen, where will we go today?
1: Hey, Mark, we're, we're stepping into your world today. My, my rule of thumb is whenever the bond markets are on the front page of the news or what everyone's talking about,
0: then you know bad things are happening in the world. Oh, well, great. So, you're only interested in talking to me when there's bad things happening in the world. Nice to know. Okay.
1: It's, it's not a lack of interest. It's just how the world works, Mark. Um, so, uh, Mark, it's time to get off the bench, get into the game. And uh, the positive news is you're finally starting to find uh, bonds with real interest, interest rates avail- or yields available in the market, right? Right.
0: Yeah, it's uh, well, yes, relatively speaking, you know, for the last 12 or 13 years, we've been waiting for rates to to move higher and, and really significantly higher uh, since COVID, uh, you know, struck the world in, in the spring of 2020 when interest rates, you know, tumbled, the 10-year tumbled to 25 or 26 basis points. It's been kind of a slow crawl back. But yeah, we're getting back to the point now where uh, it, it's it's not embarrassing to talk about, you know. Bonds and yields, uh, earning on your money, you know, something north of zero percent.
1: Well said, Mark. I, I still think you should be a little embarrassed to be uh, to be in bonds, but uh, but very well said. And uh, Griff, Mark, are you guys ready to say goodbye to COVID?
0: Definitely. Yeah, I, I said goodbye to COVID a long time ago, but COVID just won't say goodbye to to, to us. <laughs> So, well, let's yeah. let, let, let's let's start
1: off the podcast with a uh, with a farewell to COVID, a slow farewell. Um, so the main topic today, Coop, and, and uh, I got to tease you a little bit about bonds. Um, you know, the uh, we we all know that that the bond market uh, rules the world. So you know, yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm just punching up to the powerful. But um, the the topic of today is uh, Mark. We we have the smartest clients in the investment industry, I think you'll agree. Absolutely. We only work work with the
0: smartest people, so yes.
1: It's part of our secret questionnaire, part of our screening process that we only only allow in the high IQ investors, high IQ and EQ, but I want to keep them uh, ahead of the curve. So the idea of the podcast today is to give everyone a little bit of a preview of what's coming Uh, what's coming for the rest of 2022 and and really the next few years. So um, the single most important, if sometimes boring aspect of the financial markets is uh, what the federal funds rate is and relatedly what the 10 year U S treasury is because those rates determine the cost of capital for businesses. They determine the cost of a mortgage for home buyers. uh, The interest rates is a bit of a dry topic, but incredibly important. And the uh, the Federal Reserve is about to attempt something that they first tried in 2018. So there's gonna be a lot of deja vu in comparisons to 2018. Uh, the only time I encountered a depressed real estate agent in Carlsbad was in 2018 when rates are rising. and And I overheard a very optimistic bullish Realtor with a brand new Porsche uh, uh, purchased, courtesy to a hot housing market. He said, "Well, uh, it's finally turned from a seller's market into a buyer's market, and that's because rates were rising. The cost to purchase a home, the uh, uh, the, the, the the interest rate that home buyers pay on homes is incredibly important to determine their uh, uh, how much house they can afford." So um, we're, we're going to touch on housing in a minute. We're going to touch on inflation. We're going to touch on bonds. We're going to touch on the stock market. But the hammer driving this conversation today is interest rates. Uh, Griff, I think when you were about the age of my five-year-old son, <laughs> was the was the last time the United States had what Mark and I would consider and and uh, would consider normal interest rates. So. If you go back way back in time, in two thousand six and seven, the federal funds rate was uh, over five percent.
0: It was a good time, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, it was. So <laughs> the federal funds rate was five percent, and of course, what uh, what event happened right after two thousand five and six, Griffin? That that, uh, that 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 changed the world. The huge two thousand eight crash the 2008 crash. And as a result, uh, the Federal Reserve led by Ben Bernanke at the time quickly brought the federal funds rate from over 5% to zero. And that rate stayed at zero uh, all the way from the financial crash until 2016. Uh, In 2016, 17 and 18, the Federal Reserve uh, tried to normalize interest rates, they brought the federal funds rate very deliberately, quarter point after quarter point, uh, from zero to two and a half percent. And as uh, Mark, uh, feel free to chime in at any time because um, we we all know your passion for the bond market. Um, but the federal funds rate reached two and a half percent in two thousand and uh, eighteen and nineteen, and the S and P five hundred fell. By twenty percent, uh, there right, was a different. Right. Yeah, there was there was a different president at the time, and he was very vocal that he didn't want to see interest rates rise. Uh, uh, realtors, businesses, very few people are happy, other than maybe bankers and Mark Cooperstock, when interest <laughs> rates rise. But um, it, it, and we'll touch on these reasons. It's very important to also have appropriate. Uh, monetary policy and interest rates because if not, you can have uh, deleterious consequences like runaway inflation. So, uh, And and then, Mark, I'll let you throw in your two cents here, but what happened from 2017, so uh, at the start of 2017 January, the federal funds rate was 0.75 and slowly and deliberately and very well communicated, the rate got up to 2.5%. Uh, just about two years later, the stock market said, we don't like that at all. And the Federal Reserve suddenly said, okay, we're going to put our interest rate hikes on pause. And at this time in 2018 and 19, the bond market and the futures market had 0% 0 odds that the Fed was going to cut interest rates. The entire market was convinced that the Federal Reserve was gonna continue raising rates and normalize policy to something back like we had pre-financial crisis. Instead, Jerome Powell shifted on a dime. Uh, He got scared by both the stock market and the president at the time, and his next move was to lower rates. So he actually lowered the 2.5% Fed's fund rate down to 2% uh, through the summer of 2019 and then after the summer of 2019, unfortunately, we all know what transpired, which is COVID happened. When COVID happened, rates came back down to zero, and now finally, in 2022, in March, the market expects the Fed to make their first intru- to to raise the federal funds rate for the first time. Mark, feel free to chime in.
0: Yeah. So uh, first of all, hopefully everybody is still awake. Hello, wake up. Uh, <laughs> The Fed Funds uses a target or a range. So right now that range is 0% to 0.25, okay? Uh, and you're right, When when and, and as the Federal Reserve moves this target rate, all the other interest rates pretty much fall in line. So when this rate goes up, mortgage rates go up, car loan rates go up, credit card interest rates go up. So uh, this is a real thing because I get asked, many times you know well what does the fed funds rate have to do with me well that's the cost of borrowing short-term borrowing that the banks and the financial institutions have to pay so when that when their cost goes up they pass it along to their consumers it's that simple um and you're right and and referencing back to your the real estate agent who just purchased a new porsche in 2018 and was very depressed i mean the good news is that that depression only lasted about 90 days 60 to 90 days because it was at the very end of December of 2018 and into January of 2019, like you said, they 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 stopped that practice. And the market, the equity markets recovered. Interest rates continued to go down, and then we all know what happened. You know, two years later with COVID, when as a response to fear and economy and the markets being shut, not the markets being shut down, but the economy being shut down, everybody having to stay home, the Federal Reserve said, "Well, we're going to make money as cheap as possible." um to to keep hopefully keep the economy going and as we all know the economy has kept going and and now is it has a head of steam which is you know which we're going to get into the inflation um which now has led to inflation which is one of the contrib- big contributing factors now they're looking at raising rates again to kind of put the brakes on that growth and the speed of that growth how was that steve Did that was that, that was two cents? Was was that two cents worth, or was that five cents worth?
1: <laughs> that was two cents in two thousand seven dollars, and five cents in today's dollars. There you so go. That was that was perfect. Thanks, Mark. Um, so no, no, well said. And um, so the the and the Fed, as part of the extre- uh, uh, extreme monetary policy post COVID, which was really the two thousand eight response, sort of on a red buller on steroids, uh, consists of the federal funds rate getting uh, brought down to zero and also the Federal Reserve becoming a huge purchaser of of assets, of bonds, particularly mortgage-backed bonds and U.S. Treasuries. So what's interesting is the Fed is now talking about both uh, raising the Fed funds rate and reducing their balance sheet, because the last thing the Fed wants is an inverted yield curve where they allow the Fed funds rate to rise, uh, but the long-term rates don't rise as much. and When you're when the Fed's in there buying half of segments of the bond market, uh, well, that tends to to depress prices quite a bit. So the story of the year is going to be and this has already started. One of the reasons the S&P 500 is having a few more volatile days and is slightly negative to start the year uh, is because the markets are trying to figure out uh, they're trying to adjust for the coming uh, Fed changes, as you said very well, Mark, and connected the dots as the Fed funds rate rises and the Fed stops buying so many bonds, although it should be pointed out, they're talking about buying less bonds, but they haven't started doing it yet. And and that's something we'll touch on later in the in the podcast. Uh, As those rates rise, the cost of borrowing for Apple as a company to buy back stock rises, which has an impact on the stock price. The The cost to buy a new car rises, which has an impact on everybody from Ford to Tesla. Uh, The homes become more expensive, which has an impact on prices, which affects everybody from uh, from the home builders to uh, the companies extending mortgages. So today, the 10-year US Treasury yield is around 1.9% And the model that we use courtesy of calculated risk that we blogged about before is that when the 10 year U.S. Treasury yield is 2 percent with a 98 percent historical predictive accuracy, the mortgage rate should be 4 percent. So mortgage rates today. Mark, did you check mortgage news daily today? Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So uh, today the the 30 year fixed. This is an average uh, for for. Conforming loans um, close at three point seven zero percent, so we're we're al- we're almost at that four percent number. Interesting. And and we haven't actually seen the Fed actually raise rates yet. Um, so this is the market, the markets, if you will, uh, anticipating it with <laughs> Marquettes. with Marquettes. i like that pronunciation mark it's not it's not not a dance group um that (laughs) anticipating you know that this is real and the rates are going to move now um i don't want to you know cut you off or get ahead but the the federal reserve meets next week the federal open market committee which is the group that votes and makes this determination on interest rates they're meeting next week Um, and i think all of wall street and the world for that matter will be shocked if we don't see an interest rate uh, increase come out of that meeting uh, next week?
1: Well, so so first off, um, the, the Marquette's uh, a, a pronunciation was, was wonderful, Mark. I'm gonna have to um, make fun of you for that later, but uh, no, I like it. It has a good ring to it. It does sound like a dance group, um, the like the Ronettes. Um, but the, so uh, there's a wonderful free tool uh, from the CBOE, uh, the Chicago Board Options Exchange, which shows the implied Fed funds rate that the market has. So what you just said is interesting. It would be a surprise uh, if you look at, so you're absolutely correct. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up because part of the podcast today is introducing a topic that our clients are gonna start to hear a lot more about, whether they read the Wall Street Journal, uh, the New York Times, they, whether they watch Fox News or get the news from PBS or from Twitter or even Facebook, um, the, the key story of throughout the year, uh, one of the key stories is going to be rates rising and its impact. So um, part of the podcast is really just to serve as kind of a, a preview for the year. And this is a topic we'll come back and revisit. Um, the futures market is forecasting only a 5 percent chance that the Fed uh, uh, raises at the next meeting on January 26th. Uh, 95% of the dollars invested in the future market, futures market expects the Fed to keep the range at zero to 0.25%. It's the next meeting on March 16th that the market has a 90% plus probability. That the Fed is going to raise their target range from zero to 25%, 0.25% uh, to 0. 0.25 to 0.5%. Uh, and 5% of people expect the Fed to do a surprise uh, half a point hike. So there is a meeting uh, coming in less than a week. The market does not expect a rate increase, the market expects the first rate increase in March of 16. And then at the next meeting of on May 4th, the market is 50-50 split between the Fed hiking again. And then uh, on June 15th, the market is 50-50 split, that the Fed hikes uh, one more time, bringing the Fed funds rate to 075 to 1%, with a, a, a non-zero chance that the, the Fed funds rate will be 1% to 1.25%. A really important caveat is I was watching these futures and before the Fed lowered rates in the 2018-2019 timeframe and 0%, there was a 0% probability the next move by the Fed would be a rate cut. And that's in fact what they did. So it's possible that the market is completely wrong. Anyone who lived through the 2008 crisis uh, does not believe that the market is always a perfect forecaster. Um, but that said, uh, to your point, Mark, the market would be surprised if the Fed hikes at the next reading, next meeting, and uh, the market would be surprised if the Fed does not hike at the March 16 meeting. So that that's a great setup. Uh, we're going to revisit this as the Fed does change, uh, uh, as they do change their targets. Um, and the Coming back to the impact on, so, so what the Fed's going to do, and feel free to chime on this too, Mark, um, but as they raise rates, they're going to want to start buying less bonds because they're going to want a positive slope in the yield curve. Could, could you maybe say a few words about the difference between a positive and inverted yield curve and what the ramifications or implications the market gleans from that are?
0: Yeah, yeah, but I, I want to come back to just the, the rate increases for one quick second. Because I may be an outlier here, uh, however, and I'm, I'm not looking to editorialize uh, or make this political at all. However, there is a big midterm election this year in November, mm. and in my humble opinion, even though the Federal Reserve, you know, the you know Jerome Powell has yet to be, by the way, has yet to be confirmed uh, for his second term. I think that vote comes up in February, um, but you know by, by by all appearances, he, he will be confirmed. Um, I still believe that pressure can be exerted from, from Congress and from the White House and from the media. I think that they're going to look to get as many, many of these bumps as possible earlier so the market can digest them. And by the time everybody goes to the election voting polls in November, it, it will not be at the forefront of their mind that it will have been, you know, six, eight months ago, ancient history, et cetera, et cetera. That, well, that's, that's a great,
1: uh, n- no, no, Mark, that's a great point. And by the way, we're going to go on record. Mark Hoopstock, calling for a surprise rate hike in a week. So if that comes true, Mark, kudos. I'll uh, I'll send you a six-pack of my favorite San Diego IPA. Mar- but
0: yeah. the, uh- Mar- Mar- Mark will be going on stage without the Marquettes behind him. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mark and the Marquettes. Um, but no, it's it's an excellent point And And to connect those quick dots, um, so the the yield curve the market expects after the 4th of July, but by the end of July, so several months before uh, Americans go to the polls, the yield curve the market expects will have at the front end a Fed funds rate of 0.75 to 1. That is a 46% probability that by then the Fed target range will be 0.75 to 1. There's 20% of the market that expects it to be even higher, 1 to 1.25, and there's less than 1% that expects 1.25 to 1.5. But I think to your point, uh, the market expects the majority of the moves will
0: have happened by the uh, end of July. Right, and, and getting back to the, the inverted yield curve, inverted yield curve simply is when interest rates longer term, going out you know, 20, 30 years, are lower than rates for shorter term paper. So for short term periods of time. So you know, the idea when you invest is that the longer you tie your money up, if you buy a bond, for example, if you buy a 10 year bond, you expect to get you know 2%. If you buy a 20 a, a year bond, you expect to get you know three and a half percent. And if you buy a 30 year bond, you expect to get 5%. That's your reward for locking up ...your money for a longer period of time. An inverted yield curve is when you would actually get a higher rate, shorter term, in 10 or 20 years, than you would in 30 years. And there are a number of factors that will play into it. It can be when rates, are, when rates are being bumped up, yet there then is an expectation that, that, um, that inflation is going to decrease so there are many factors that come into it we we've had instances of inverted yield curves where you know the five and ten year were upside down the two year and the ten year were upside down um it generally happens in swift moving interest rates um you know in either direction so you got to be careful so that but but i think we're getting really technical uh on that Well,
1: no and Uh, um it's great mark um, a a client and a friend one once asked me and, and this goes back to my rule of thumb the wall street journal had a front page article that said uh-oh economists are worried about the inver- inverted yield curve so a, fr- a friend sent me the article and he said what is an inverted yield curve and should i be worried right? right so right um the and and the point is historically when you have an inverted yield curve it's been a good predictor of recessions because mm-hmm. it's basically the market's way of saying well we believe the fed is going to have to cut rates in the future the economy is not strong enough to handle higher interest rates, right? Like, like to your point, connecting the dots with inflation. When companies are growing and there's plentiful jobs and the housing market's rising and uh, new homes are being built, uh, you you typically have seen higher interest rates because you have to kind of cool down the the heat of the economy. Whereas after the 2008 crisis, you know, when things are in the toilet, you have to lower rates to try to stimulate things. So. Um, an inverted yield curve has historically been interpreted by both the market and prognosticators, to, uh, to borrow from your income intro that we all love, uh, that that the market uh, knows something the Fed doesn't, which is the economy is sl- is slowing down. So the the Fed is going to want to make sure, as they let the short-term rates rise, that that they allow the long-term. They don't want to be depressing the long-term rates by. Uh, but by, because they've been such a big force in the market buying bonds. And a uh, quick parenthetical note, as we all know, in the bond market prices up, interest rates down. Uh, so the more mortgage-backed bonds, the, the Fed, when COVID hit, started buying, uh, and this, this to me kind of sounds the craziest to people who are not in finance, but the Fed started buying and they're continuing to buy mortgage bonds to try to heat the housing market. That always sounds insane to people not in finance, Mark, because
0: mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine a hotter housing market than today. Um, right, no, no question about it, and, and we have some numbers uh, to talk about there. One other thing, I mean, you just talked about the inverse relationship between bonds and interest rates. Remember, too, though, the opposite of that is when rates are going higher, your bond prices are going lower. So for anybody out there who is listening who owns bonds, okay, or as a portfolio of bonds and you look at your statement three four five months down the road and you see what the hell happened you know why are my why are my bond prices down that's just the function of interest rates moving higher okay finding that equilibrium so uh and that and that's also a big reason why we have for a number of years now um, not to pat ourselves on the back but stayed relatively short term not locking uh our clients monies up for long periods of time generally not more than two, three, four years, maybe five for, for, for small pieces um, in anticipation of rates moving higher when that when those bonds mature and they get redeemed, then they can be reinvested at higher rates. So end up patting ourselves on the back. Go ahead.
1: Excellent point and a wonderful teaser for our future Bond Ladder podcast.
0: Oh, boy. Uh, we'll make sure the Marquettes are uh, tuned up for that one.
1: <laughs> You, you might need cheerleaders <laughs> and music on that one, Mark. <laughs> um, okay, so so uh, and, um, we're almost uh, we're almost at a half hour. I want to get to the key points that matter for our listeners. Um, so so tying this back together, the ten year, uh, which is uh, as we mentioned around one point nine percent, we're already at the rate where that leads to mortgage rates of about four uh, percent. Ivy Zellman who is uh, one of the top housing analysts, if not the top analyst, uh, housing analysts. She runs a research firm out of Cleveland, and uh, she accurately forecasted the uh, housing bubble and, and bust uh, in, in real time. Uh, very smart, very happy to be outside of uh, consensus. She, uh, right now, she's the only one I know of, and it's worth paying attention to, but her forecast is when mortgage rates go over 4%, that the investors who are buying single-family homes will disappear from the market uh, for two reasons. One, they'll now be able to get uh, higher interest rates on things like bonds, so uh, the houses become less attractive. And two, their cost of financing rises, which all of a sudden they would be upside down uh, buying at at the new interest rates. So her forecast is, Mortgage rates go over four, investors disappear. Why does this matter? Well, today in San Diego, one in every three homes is bought by an investor. And before 2008, the percentage of investors from uh, especially the institutional investors, your Carlisle's, your Blackstones, before 2008, big investors did not buy single family homes as investments. That whole industry, which is now rather large, completely started in a world of zero interest rates and crushed housing prices after the financial crisis. Today, they represent. So they went from zero percent to one in three in San Diego. I had seen something they're one out of every two in Orange County. So her forecast is when mortgage rates get over four, the investors will disappear. And all of a sudden, the housing supply shortage, which we've all felt or read about, uh, will disappear. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. She's the only one saying that uh, everything you read today will be about how there's we're, we're not building enough homes. There's a housing supply shortage. And this is especially visceral in California, both people uh, natives to California and people who maybe recently left for places like, I don't know, Las Vegas. The This is a really important topic for any market receiving a lot of investor interest. Uh, be, believe it or not, One of the biggest markets that's received investor interest is Phoenix, Arizona. So her forecast has relevance. And this is I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to invite both Griffin and Mark to make any comments here. But for for our clients listening, for anyone listening, the investment implications of what we're talking about are, one, as Mark said, bond rates are rising. So it's a great time to be moving your bond ladder up. Uh, you can start to get higher interest rates on both your cash and your fixed income, one. Two, it's a great time to have some money not in the stock market because the odds are you'll be able to get stocks cheaper as the market reprices, as rates rise. Three, if you're a prospective home buyer and the housing market's been driving you crazy, wait. As rates rise, uh, there, there should become more supply in the market as investors disappear. Four, if you've been thinking of selling your home, now or the next year or two is probably a pretty good time uh, before the market has a chance to adjust to higher rates. Uh, five, if you're in your dream home and uh, you, you don't really need to care, congratulations on having a low-cost basis from your home, enjoy it, and the money you're saving. By having a lower-cost home, you can return to one and invest in higher rates in bonds. Uh, I think I'm on point six, and this is be my last one, which is, as always, um, inflation bonds are a great place to park some money. Uh, also, while this transpires, inflation bonds currently pay around 7% because inflation, which we'll have to save for another podcast, is running about 7%. Again, the Fed is going to try to cool inflation by rising rates until then, enjoy a risk-free 7% from the government that state tax-free and inflation bonds. Mark, and then Griffin, any takeaways you'd like to add?
0: Yeah, uh, two things here. Um, one, point number two that you talked about sounded like a teaser for an update on our proprietary star strategy uh, 2.0, and that'll be coming soon. You were talking about how much maybe to take out of the market right now. Um, That's a good So point. stay tuned. Um, and one other thing on the mortgage rates, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but... Um, when Ms. Elman's talking about rates approaching four percent and we're at 3.7 today, those are for, for conforming loans. So in California, for example, a conforming loan could be as low as six hundred and fifty thousand, it could be as high as nine hundred and seventy thousand, depending on which county you live in. Um, but anything outside of that range, so if you live in San Diego and you have you know a loan of you know close to a million dollars or more, you're gonna be paying at least 50 basis points more than the rates we're talking about. So you're already well over the 4% number, but she's talking about an aggregate of, of rates across the country, where the average home price is about 400,000. But still, in California, as we know, um, things aren't always the same as they are across the country. Um, Griff, any other questions, comments?
1: Yeah, I just have one question, actually. So only actually, one, uh, Mark. We. We, we, I think a personal goal is for when we record these podcasts to generate more questions from Griff. But go ahead, hit us with your question, Griff. <laughs> okay. Well, my my only one question is, um, is so as the interest rates get to four percent and the investors then start to like disappear from the housing market, won't the housing market like take a hit in response? Well, it's, it's a great, it's, it's a super great question, and this is why Zellman is kind of an outlier. But um, in the so in the in the entire country today there's about 300,000 single-family homes for sale, which is really not many at all. Uh-huh. Um, so so, her, so most people, informed people, smart people, um, think that the supply demand is so out of whack that even as rates rise, home prices can continue to appreciate uh, because there's not enough supply. Uh, Zellman's point is that when you have the investors disappear, that her, her exact phrase is the supply shortage will turn into a supply mirage. Um, so just a couple of months ago, Zillow, who started an eye buying program to buy and sell homes sight unseen digitally, it, it, somehow in this raging hot market, uh, they started and, and and went bust and lost uh, tons of large amounts of money uh, 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 trying to um, trying to transact in the housing market. So, but there's still open door, there's still built uh, for rent companies again. And as as Ivy Zelman highlights, especially in places like Phoenix, um, her point and her answer to you, uh, Griff, would be as rates rise and investors uh, disappear, there will then be more supply available. And if you think about like economics 101 about supply and demand curves, Uh right? Right now, you have very little supply that's almost all going to investors. So you're only getting the most uh, uh, the, the most extreme of the demand, the people who need to buy a home to live in a certain school district, the people who have the most money saved, the people who just sold a expensive home in, a, in an expensive market, the people who can get support, support from their parents, the people with the best jobs. But as the investors disappear, you can slide down that supply-demand curve. And she doesn't say this, but the point I would add on is that the average home equity, so home value less mortgage across America today is is uh, somewhere over $300,000, right? Mm-hmm. What, what we tend to see in asset markets is um, when markets rise, especially as long as they have for housing, people get very comfortable. When the prices start to go the other way, suddenly people who are sitting on gains think, hey, maybe I should make that, maybe I should lock in that gain, maybe I should sell before prices go down too much. And then all of a sudden, you can have a bit of a a run for the exits and you could have more supply hit the market. Um, So in order for her to be proven correct, you need investors to uh, leave the market and probably a little more supply to hit the market. But right now, we're kind of at record low supply, uh, we're at record uh, low supply on the market. So um, anyway, to answer your question, the, uh, the the mechanism in which she's talking about is probably that investors leave the market and that as in, as homeowners see that prices are going to stop rising maybe more supply
0: comes to the market
1: okay, okay. got it <laughs> mark anything here. to add
0: yeah, yeah I, the only thing I would add is uh, Steve you sent out a chart earlier today where uh, you, and it was the um, availability of the number of homes available in what 20 the 20 markets around the country or so 25 markets oh right right and the one that really really struck me was the first one on the list which was Albuquerque New Mexico okay and uh, Albuquerque has a population of 560,000 people that was as of the 2019 count okay and there were I have to look for the chart but 650 homes listed for sale sure yeah I mean, think about that. 600,000 people and 660 homes for sale. I mean, rates moving are definitely going to impact that a little bit, but, but it's going to have to really hit that hard to have an impact on a market like Albuquerque, anyways, in my opinion. So I thought that was no, stunning.
1: That is stunning. It's an excellent point. And I don't know the percentage of the home buyers that are investors in Albuquerque today but um, so the, the 650 number you mentioned, which was awfully close, so close, it was 639. And um, the, a, a year that's, that's half from what it was a year ago. And you can imagine that maybe a third or half of those are investors uh, looking for a higher yield than they get in the bond market. So to, to, to tie your, so great example of using Albuquerque, Mark, um, but tying your comment together with Griff's question, um, is when rates rise and if maybe investors start to leave Albuquerque, if, if all of a sudden all 639 homes are available, it was almost laughable to say that number out loud, but um, even if all those homes are available to uh, home buyers, to your point, Mark, you really want to see that number rise in order to have it to start to, to make a dent. So you, you're going to want to see thousands of homes available in Albuquerque, that are being bought by home buyers and not investors. So you, you kind of need two things, and 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 that's that real estate's always local, right? But um, but I I think one thing we can all agree on, and all our listeners, is it's about time the feds uh, took their foot off the gas pedal of trying to encourage the housing market to be any hotter than it is.
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed, hundred percent. All right, gentlemen, that was a great conversation. Uh, <laughs> Remember, the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and their guests. Nothing discussed today should be considered investment advice. And please consult your own financial advisor and tax advisor whenever considering any investment. If you have questions and you're one of our clients, please feel free to email us with the term podcast in the subject line. For more information about this podcast, the hosts, and the firm, please visit us at www.mk-am.com or email us at info at mk-am.com. Thank you for joining us, and look for our next podcast release in the near future.